In speech or in drama, you were taught to project your voice to communicate a message to the listener. You were taught about the five points in an audience that you look to as you speak, and if your teacher was astute, they talked to you about the short and the long of those. You talked about voice inflection and bringing your voice down to a quiet so people would pay attention. You learned about props that you might have or use that were important to be able to communicate a message, something that you wanted the people to go away remembering. If you have ever been a presenter of any kind, you know that sometimes the message is more clearly shared. Sometimes you're more with it. And, and sometimes if you're a listener, you know sometimes the message comes across more clearly and you're able to receive it. Fewer distractions, maybe vivid imagination. It's created a memory into your heart and into your mind. And so you receive that which has been given to you and you take that as a lasting message. I remember as a young kid sitting in the church I grew up in and a person was talking about VBS and other things like that and they were talking about our children ministry and so they were up front and they were giving the announcements about it and they wanted to give an object lesson so they had this bowl of some liquid, I don't know what, and they had a rag and they, and they said, I can put this rag in this bowl, pull this out, and I can put a fire under it and it won't burn. Do you want me to prove it? And everybody, of course, yes, do it. Stuck it in, pulled it out, flicked the bick, and it caught on fire. It wasn't supposed to. I sure remember that. I have no idea to this day what that lady was talking about. But I do know that that rag caught on fire, and she didn't know what to do. She dropped it because her hand was on fire, you know, getting ready to burn. And there was a visiting minister. He got up, and he raced up front, and he started stomping that out. I remember that message. <laughs> I remember that very You know your life is a message? Did you know that? You are a billboard. In the prayer, in the conversations this morning that we've been having here, we've been talking about the impact and the influence all of us have by our words, by our attitudes, by our actions, by the very placement of our life. You're making a statement by being in this service right now. You're a worshiper. You're a follower of God. You're a pursuer of Him. That's a statement. That is a message. Your life is a life action message. It is a life action story. In the Bible, Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, and he embarrassed the people by walking around the streets, in the communities, in the area, dressed like he was a prisoner of war. People would look at him and they're like, who is that? And then they would reckon, oh, that's a prophet. Wait a minute, he must be saying something. His life was a billboard. His life was a message from God to the people about how God wanted the people to look to him and to turn away from the way they were going and to find God to be everything that they needed. Jeremiah, he was a communicator, a prophet, and as he was carrying a yoke on his shoulders, the people were beginning to say, wait a minute, God has a message for us. And they were listening for the message about the yoke that he was carrying. And then we know in the scripture, there are others like Ezekiel. Ezekiel, he gave a, an illustration, a living illustration from his life, how he acted like a little kid, even though he was an adult. And you know how you'll say to a kid that's acting all immature, like, grow up. Or you say to a grown-up that's grown up, acting like a little, why don't you just grow up? We'll say to him, just grow up. Well, he was acting like a little kid, trying to get the attention of the people to say, you're acting immature, you're doing things you shouldn't. There was a haircut illustration he gave. His spouse died, he used that as an illustration 
to illustrate God reaching out to us. These are life action sermons. There is no sermon greater than Christ hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, resurrecting from the dead to provide the offer of life to all who would believe in Him. Beautiful display, life action message. But today we're looking at lessons from Hosea. And in these lessons from Hosea, we're going to see several things from his life. He was asked to do something we will not be asked to do. He was asked to do something that none of us will sense God prompting us to embrace as our lifestyle. Yet, he was called to do this as a prophet of God to Israel. And he listened to God, and God spoke to him and said, this is what I want you to do. And so let's look at the seasons of his life. And when we look at the seasons of his life, we see that God's love reaches further than any place anyone would ever go. First of all, notice this first season in chapter 1. Hosea was given an unusual assignment. This is absolutely amazing. His name means salvation. He is a single man, and he is a prophet of God. He's an honorable man. His name means salvation. I mean, just, just to be able to say, Hosea, it's, it's, it's salvation. Hosanna, save us. So you get this name, Hosea. And so people would understand when they're saying that in their time, it meant something, and it meant something very positive. But God had a profound message he wanted to give to Israel, and he wanted to give his people. And he says, what I want you to do is marry a prostitute. And when we think about marriage, we think about exciting times, we think about all the preparations, we think about who we're going to marry, invitations, expenses, venues, all kinds of things come to mind, honeymoon, all of that. But God says something to him. I want you to marry a prostitute. Israel had strayed from God. Israel was away from God. The people were doing all kinds of things were wrong and out of step. So it wasn't very hard for Hosea to find someone who would be a prostitute. And so he goes out into the streets and he met up with a lady. Her name was Gomer. And there he meets up with Gomer and she becomes his wife. This is stuff scandals are made of. A preacher and a prostitute. This would be stuff that would hit headline news most places, and God knew that. And so God was creating a story for the people to understand, a living message. You're a living billboard to someone around you. Hosea's life is going to be a living message. Here's a God seeker seeking someone who is a pleasure seeker. Here is someone who's seeking to live an honorable and holy life. Here's someone who is living a very promiscuous, unholy life. The contrast couldn't be greater. Look at verse 2 of chapter 1 of Hosea. The Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. God is interested in every nation. He's interested in the United States. He's interested in Israel. He's interested in Mexico and in Canada. And he was sending a message to these people. And he sends a message to us. And sometimes it comes through us. A vivid message. God goes to great lengths to get our attention. How is God getting your attention today? What is he saying on the billboards you're reading in your heart and in your life? In the second season of Hosea's life, we see that he lived a difficult life. He did what God had said, go marry a prostitute, so he marries Gomer. God had said to him, go have children, so they began to have children. Some of you have children. You know that can be a challenge. But listen to what they named their children. In chapter 1 and verse 4, they named their child Jezreel. It means God will avenge. 
I don't imagine your parakeet, your dog, your hamster is named Jezreel. I doubt you have a horse named Jezreel. I doubt you have a milk cow named Jezreel. And surely you wouldn't name your child Jezreel because it means God will avenge. Loruama was the daughter born to them. And the scripture in verse 6 talks to us about that. And her name means something unusual, which is probably why you haven't heard this name very much. It means we don't know who the father is. They had no DNA studies. They had no way to understand who the father would be. But it means that they have been living an unusual life. And she has been very promiscuous, and they don't even know who the father is. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 9 says they have a son named Loamai. And when this son comes along, it means not my child. I know this one's not mine. And so you have a child, says God will avenge. You have another child that is saying, I'm not sure who the father is. You have another one, you say, I know that I'm not the father, but they really don't know who the father would be. What a combination. What an unusual, unusual dynamic. Not that different than America. Not that different than the world in which we live. Now, Hosea and Gomer had conflict. Chapter 2 and verse 2 says she was a prostitute. That would be before marriage. But it tells us they married. And then she went back to her life of prostitution. And when she went back to her life of prostitution, can you imagine the emotions and the feeling that Hosea, the prophet, the holy man of God would have? God, I've done what you've asked me to do, but here we go. This would be an unusual story. This would be an unusual event. Now I want to invite you to consider doing an exercise with Dr. Marvin Powers, one of my early mentors and professors, and I worked on staff. He was a senior pastor. He had us do as young people in his class. He said, I want all of you, men and women, to take a pad, a paper, and pen, and I want you to write down everything you would lose if you chose to go outside of God's boundaries and lines and would choose to flagrantly violate your relationship with God. Well, we had many assignments. This was just another one until we started doing it. There was a sober effect went across the class, and pretty soon our lists were growing from five things to ten things to 15 things, and you could get up to 20 things in a hurry if you weren't careful. You would have things that would be weighty on there that would be stuff like this. Well, I, I'm going to forfeit my reputation. In our case, I'm going to forfeit my education because who wants a minister degree if they're not doing ministry? And I'm going to violate my spouse and the trust. I'm going to violate my kids' trust. And the list would go on of the scandal that could create if we did dumb things, if we did stupid things outside. But Gomer doesn't really think about all that. She continues on in her life in chapter 2, and she just continues going the wrong way, a long way. And as she does that, she believes that her worth and her value and all of the things she needs are provided by all of these people around her. But the reality is mistaken. She is wrong. She has misplaced her loyalty. For God was still providing it all. And in this story, God is Hosea. And in this story, Gomer is Israel. And straying away. And 
Hosea is being called to reach out in love and care and provide for her even though she is not someone who's loyal to him. And it would gall most people to do that. But he was called to do it. He realized his mission was bigger than his moment and his message was something that needed to be shared. So it leads us to the third season and that is this. Hosea delivered a challenging message. It was a very challenging message. Any of you that deliver messages on your job or in your classrooms or in ministry, you know that sometimes messages can be very hard to give. Our friends from Harding Funeral Home here, they know that sometimes they have to give hard messages to families and when they speak to them, they know that it could be a very difficult time for the family and the season and they do great work. But here, he's called to give a tough message the nation needs to hear straight words. Why does a nation need to hear straight words? This nation, like every nation on earth, from time to time, needs to hear straight words. Straight words that are given from God. Chapter 4 said they're given to drunkenness. And everything that goes with that, we don't even need to describe. Many of you know that life. You understand that dynamic. Chapter 4 said they were swearing and lying and killing and stealing and adulterous. They're busting the Ten Commandments wide open. The Scripture would say to us in chapter 5, they're very arrogant people. The Scripture would say in chapter 7, their political leaders had no value for God, no time for God, no real awareness of what God cared about or didn't really care about His opinion. In other words, they, had, they were godless and they had no godliness about them. And this is very dreadful. This is very tough. They worship things they made instead of the maker of things. And we need to remember to worship God, not our stuff, not our rewards, not our buildings, not our, all those things, but we need to continue to worship Him. They did not believe that God's Word was relevant. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in the living Word of God? Do you believe this is the inspired Word of God? Or are you drawing your authority from something else? I choose to bet my entire life on this and my entire eternity on this. The word of the living God, it goes forever from generation to generation. He said it would not pass away. And here it is all these generations later. There is not for sale. In this story right here, we see God's love reaching and going way out and reaching beyond where normal limits would tend to be. And that's where we get the idea of agape love. Agape love is, is different than eros. Uh, that love that would be romantic, it's different than phileo. That love that would be a brotherly love or sisterly love. It goes beyond all of those things. And this is the agape love that reaches out beyond definition, beyond explanation, beyond what anyone would deserve or could possibly expect to receive. This goes beyond that. Aren't you glad for the agape love? It's what nailed him to the cross. For God so loved the world. That's the so love it's talking about. That he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish. And the prophet delivering this message says in chapter 9, your children are going to die. In chapter 10 he says, all of the idols that we have made, all those things we think are important are going to be destroyed. In chapter 9 and 10 he says, let me let you know this, that the Assyrians are going to take us captive. They were the strong nation then. If we forget God and don't trust in Him. I remember a song from years ago it said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. I think that's true. And that's what Hosea was saying to the people. There's another way. There's a better way. And then there's a fourth season we look at. 
it is Hosea. Finally, we see the message shifting a little bit. The emphasis here turns toward hope. His message is filled with hope. God instructed Hosea, don't give up, don't give up on Gomer. Keep going after Gomer. Keep going after Gomer. But God, I know all of this about, keep going after. But God, she has done, keep going after. But God, I don't know how, I don't know why, but keep going after. And Hosea went back into the streets and he bought her back. Jesus went to the cross to buy you back. He cares that much for you, whether you care that much for yourself or not. He loves you and he's crazy about you. In our passage read just a little while by Pastor Dwight, in chapter 14, you see in verses 1 and 2, and in verse 9 it says that we are to confess, to confess our sins to God, to confess Christ as our Lord and Savior is what it is saying. Chapter 3, we realize the empty pursuits of our life and the wickedness of our ways apart from God. We're godless. We're unholy apart from God. But He makes us righteous. He makes us godly. He makes us able to stand as a holy person. Chapter 13 and verse 4 puts it this way. But I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior but me. Hosea says we have hope. Chapter 6 of Hosea, verse 1. Come, let's return to the Lord. It says God will heal us. And so he's saying this to the people, to return to God. He's not calling them to Republican or Democrat. He's calling them to something more noble and more high. He's calling them to God. We came from God. We live for God. In the end, we'll go to God. And in all of our uh, life, and all of our wandering and ramblings, remember that. Bill and Gloria Gaither penned a number of songs. One of them that was pretty meaningful was something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Aren't you glad his love kept going, kept pursuing, kept following, kept calling, kept reaching, kept offering? Come back, come back, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And that's what he does. When I was a kid, my dad used to take me to auctions. Man, I went to so many auctions. And so very often when you go to auctions, they have such penny-ante stuff that's worthless, really. And they lump it together and sell it. And then they'll have something maybe more valuable. They'll either have someone stand by it, or maybe they'll have it under lock and key or chained to something. I remember a ring being chained to a, to a post one time that, that you couldn't get to, and it would just keep in the valuables in a separate place. So we went to all of these auctions. But I heard about another auction I didn't go to, but they were coming to the end of the auction, and as they moved toward the end, they had one item left. The crowd had thinned out a bit. People had already gotten to see what they wanted to see, and really nothing left that was that memorable. But there happened to be a violin there, and so the auctioneer said, would anybody give a dollar to start the bidding? And nobody, nobody was willing to buy or bid. 
And so there was a guy in the crowd, and he came up, and he, he grabbed hold of the violin, and he started messing with it and started adjusting some things, oil where he needed to. And pretty soon he got the thing working a little bit, and pretty soon he got it tuned up, and he started playing on that beautiful, sweet music that would soothe the soul. And as he's playing that, the auctioneer said, who'll give 1500 Hand goes up. Who'll give 2500 Hand goes up. Who gives 7500 And they sold that for $7,500. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was a touch of the Master's hand. And that's Jesus Christ's touch in your life. And that's what Hosea is calling out to Gomer. God can save you. God can help you. And today, that's what God is saying to everyone here. Can I get a witness in the house? Now, when I was a young man, a kid, I'm not old yet, but when I was a young man, <laughs> all my brothers and sisters are old, but they're older than me, so they're old. <laughs> and if you're watching, God bless you. <laughs> we attended a church, 100, 120, 140 was the biggest day I remember. And so in a crowd that size, you know everyone. You know all of the people. And there was a particular person that was a part of our audience that was very influential on all of us. This person had a personality bigger than life in that setting. And everybody was glad to know that person, glad to participate in ministries they would lead. Somewhere along that life journey, this person this person decided to change up and follow after wrong desires, very sinful things. And this person did way more things than I think even they thought they would do. They were a great embarrassment to their family, great embarrassment to the community, tremendous heartbreak to the church. I only heard about that person off and on throughout the years, kind of lost track of really what all was happening with the person, just didn't know a lot about where they were and what was going. And one day while minding my own business, I got a call. And the call was an invitation to go to a hospital in the Lehigh Valley. Of all places that person wound up, it was one of the hospitals in the Lehigh Valley. And I knew what I had to do, I had to go. And so I went over to the hospital and when I walked into the room, there were family members that were there to come, that had come to be by this person's side, and there were other friends that were there beside this person. And I said to the people in the room after I'd exchanged pleasantries, would you give me a few minutes with this person? And they said, sure. I went all pastorly on them at that point and asked them if they would leave the room just so we could sit and talk. This person knew that I knew enough of their story that they could not hoodwink me. Really. I mean, you can fool everybody, but you can't really always. 
And I sat there now, and this person knew full well we were down to brass tacks. And I said, the procedure that you are getting ready to have could incapacitate your life for the rest of your days on earth. Are you aware of that? Yes, I'm aware of that. You know you may not even wake up or live through the procedure that is about to happen that you're facing tomorrow. Do you know that? Yes, I understand that, and yes, I know that. And I said, I want to ask you the biggest question of all, and that is this. Are you at peace with God? I felt like Hosea sitting with Gomer. You're a billboard to someone. What are you saying? This person said, yes, I can assure you that I have made my peace with God. They had settled from their wild ways and were now pursuing God. Gomer, Gomer, come back. Come back. I love you. I want you. We need you. Come back. Come back. And that's what God was saying through Hosea to the people that had strayed. What is God? saying to you what is God saying through you (laughs) it's quiet in here it's very quiet in here you're wondering what I'm going to do now aren't you But I'm wondering what you're going to do with what Hosea just taught us from his lesson plans today. What is God saying to you? What will you do about that? Father, you speak in a myriad of ways, ways But sometimes we don't understand, but today we're not confused. You're speaking, we hear you. You're speaking, you're helping. You're speaking, you're giving us hope. You're giving us life. You're saying, here I am. Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you for your persistent love that reaches to us even now, beyond. And he offers us life, forgiveness, new chance. Listen to any who are confessing sin as you can confess sin right there. You don't have to do anything fancy other than just mean it from your heart. Say, God, I am a sinner. My sin separates me from you and I don't want that anymore. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. Would you come in right now? If you do that, he forgives you. You receive him. Now what he wants you to do is to walk with him every day. To walk with Him means you just grow in this new life you're starting. That's what we mean. And thank you, Lord, for providing eternal life for all who trust in you. That's what we look forward to as well. In Jesus' name, amen.